Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Hi, I'm Joe, and I'm here with the latest episode of Euronet Plus Panorama. The corridors of the European Parliament in Strasbourg have been bustling this week, and we take a look at two of the key topics on members' agendas, energy and ethics. It came as no real surprise to anyone that the automotive chapter of the Fit for 55 package was adopted, albeit not by an enormous margin, by the European Parliament in its plenary session on Tuesday the 14th of February. This interinstitutional agreement, reached back in October, commits the automotive industry to reducing CO2 emissions by 55% for new cars and 50% for new vans by 2030. And just five years later, all new cars and vans must be completely emissions-free, effectively ending the use of internal combustion engines in passenger transport across the EU. Italy's Radio 24 asked Alberto Dal Poz, the vice president of Turin's Unione Industriali, a confederation of local companies, for his reaction to the news. We are all obviously interested in ecology, in the preservation of our planet. No one questions that. However, caring about the environmental impact does not mean instantly discounting social impacts. We are convinced that there were several ways to have an effective, not to mention quick, impact on the polluting emissions of the endothermic-powered vehicles we are used to. One was chosen, but the industrial sector most ready for this scenario is China, not only from an industrial point of view, in other words, their ability to produce electrically powered vehicles of this type, but above all, for the availability of all these new raw materials that this type of industry needs, the whole issue of rare earths, lithium, the type of batteries that will be used. So, it is like we're entering a race with someone and choosing a starting position where our opponent, besides being physically much more powerful than us, already has a 50-meter advantage. This can only result in a bill in social terms as well, and we're obviously concerned about this. Andre Burgles, the head of Slovenia's National Automobile and Motorcycle Association, feels similarly ambivalent as RTV Slovenia reports. First of all, this decision is not unexpected. This is, after all, something that was announced. We were watching to see if, in these times of energy crisis, especially this year, the support would break down a bit, and it did. We saw that there were 279 votes against and 340 in favour. Enough said. We would also like to point out that those who were against it, the resolution, are not against the green transition or a green Europe and all these fine green words. They were just saying that the ambitions are a bit excessive. Meanwhile, Dr. Iztok Seliak, Chief Managing Director of Hydria Holding, a Slovenia-based company specializing in automotive and industrial technologies, thinks that ambition is key. It is an indisputable fact that the European automotive industry has fallen behind in electric mobility compared to China and the US and that we now need to run faster to catch up, first of all. 
and then overtake and regain the lead. Of course, it would be illusory to think that we will do this by going back to old carbon technologies. That would be suicide. The future is green, carbon-free, with all the jobs that go with it. And the key thing is to be there, in that future, ahead of others, because this is the only way of guaranteeing that we will be part of it. Back in the Parliament, the centre-right EPP group had been keen to leave the door open to continuing to use combustion engines, but with e-fuels. They managed to include a review clause with a view to retaining this possibility. German group member Jens Giesecke explains their thinking to Euronet Plus member station AMS. In order to reduce emissions in the transport sector, we need innovations and space for clever ideas. But the ban on combustion engines limits this much-needed freedom. Our suggestion is better. Set a clear, strict framework and then let the market decide which technologies are needed to achieve the goal. Yet Social Democrat Timo Vulken sees the EPP's proposals as a way of lobbying for synthetic fuels something he claims is not a viable option in road transport. But synthetic fuels are not a solution. We don't have them, they are way too expensive, and we need them in other sectors and not in road transport where we can go straight to electricity. With member states also backing the car and van ban, it's now plain sailing for the law to become a reality. Things are not quite so clear-cut, though, when it comes to larger vehicles. While city buses look like they will be forced to turn their backs on the internal combustion engine by 2030, other heavy goods vehicles may get something of a reprieve. This follows Commission Vice President Franz Timmermans' unveiling of a revised proposal targeting a 90% reduction in truck emissions by 2040, instead of a total ban. A number of member states, including Luxembourg, have put significant pressure on the Commission to draw a line in the sand for combustion engines and trucks, not to take its foot off the gas. These member states are not happy with the Commission's latest proposal, as Green member Tilly Metz tells Luxembourg's 100.7. If you know the consequences of CO2 emissions and that truck transportation plays a big role in this, then I really would have liked a more ambitious proposal than a 90% reduction in emissions by 2040. Also this week in Strasbourg, MEPs have voted on two resolutions to fight corruption in the EU. One on the European Parliament's proposals to strengthen institutional integrity, and the other on the idea of creating an independent ethics body. In January, Parliament President Roberta Metsola put forward a package of measures to strengthen the integrity and transparency of the European Assembly. Proposals that include a cooling-off period for former MEPs before they can engage in lobbying activities – and the publication of all meetings with interest groups and third-country representatives. Our colleagues at Latvia's radio interview EU ombudsman Emily O'Reilly, who believes it's only right and proper that our rulemakers are themselves subject to rules. Sometimes I think the Parliament doesn't recognise its power. You know, I really think that. I think it's an old-fashioned idea, even by people who are here now, that, you know, well, we're just the Parliament, because they're thinking of a Parliament of 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Uh, but the power they have is, is extraordinary, and this is a point I've made. You know, like, I can do a lot, but I can't make laws. You can't make laws. Doctors, teachers, none of them can make laws. They can make laws. So the power they have over individual lives is extraordinary, and that's why special rules have to be attached to them. And I know they can find it onerous, but that, that, that is what is necessary to happen for 
to allow them to have the privilege of making these rules that impact the life chances of every single person in the European Union and even outside the European Union. But Manon Aubry, co-chair of the left group, is sceptical. She tells 100.7 that Metzola's proposals are little more than hot air. To think that we will have solved the issue and the biggest scandal in the history of the European Parliament with the Roberta Metzola's action plan alone is completely deluded. It's a case of creating the illusion of having taken action so as to preserve business as usual in the Parliament, whose practices are extremely opaque. This said, the package of measures was broadly supported across the political spectrum. MEPs from the Parliament's right-leaning political groups, most notably the EPP, were not, though, so keen to back the principle of creating an independent ethics body. This discussion has been ongoing for some time now, but the Commission is finally expected to publish firmer proposals in March. It's said to have found it challenging to come up with unified procedures that are acceptable to each of the EU institutions. Meanwhile, the European Parliament seems unable to avoid corruption allegations. The latest among these see Polish MEP and former government minister Radosław Sikorski accused of taking money from the United Arab Emirates in return for political favours. Polish anti-corruption officers have launched an investigation into Sikorski's financial declarations, says Polski Radio. Last week... On the 8th of February, the Dutch newspaper NRC claimed that MEP Sikorski receives €93,000 a year from the UAE in his role as an advisor. Sikorski does not deny that he is on the payroll of the Gulf state and insists that he declares this income. There are allegations, though, of undeclared luxury trips and questions regarding what he actually does in return for this money. With Sikorski a member of Poland's main opposition party, Civic Platform, part of the EPP group, the country's ruling Law and Justice Party has jumped on the charges. Law and Justice spokesperson Rafał Bocianek stresses that the murky affair undermines not only Sikorski's credibility, but that of the European Parliament as a whole. This is morally and ethically questionable, and the services should certainly also investigate whether there is any conflict of interest here, and thus also a violation of the law. And this undermines not only the credibility of Radoslav Sikorsky himself, but also the trust in the EU institutions, institutions in which he sits. And in other corruption-related news... BNR reports on the US government's imposition of sanctions on five more high-profile Bulgarian citizens under the Global Magnitsky Act. Those newly sanctioned include the former finance minister Vladislav Goranov and a number of figures who are influential in the energy sector. In an interview with BNR, Ambassador James O'Brien, head of sanctions coordination at the US Department of State, explains why these individuals have been targeted. Sanctions were meant to reinforce Bulgaria's choices that as it deepens its integration into Europe um, and its cooperation with global companies, its diversification of its energy, it's important that some old practices be identified and stopped. So these sanctions, they follow the evidence that we have and identify, as you say, tens of millions of euro that were taken from the Bulgarian people and, and given in some cases to officials, in some cases to, to foreign companies. The purpose behind these sanctions is to see that Bulgaria will be able to investigate, 
and stop behavior like this going forward. Thanks for joining us. Come back again next week when we'll be marking an unhappy anniversary for Ukraine and for Europe.